Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Nice to see everyone here today. Boy, what's uh, it's pretty crazy weather out there, isn't it? And I'm thinking of Andrew, Andrew and Chris Goldie and a few others from this congregation who are out there right now running the marathon. Oh, there's got to be some chafing going on there. That's not going to be any fun. That's great stuff. Well, hey, I'm delighted to be able to jump in on, on part two in this series. I'm intrigued with this series. I'm intrigued with this idea about the unnamed people uh, and in the Bible and by the influence of some of these unnamed people. And as Vicky shared, the fact that we all have unnamed people that are part of our story uh, that are, have often made it in a really insignificant difference in our journey. Um, I remember many years ago when I was uh, not saved, not a Christian, uh, I was a university student in Otago, and my parents lived in the Bay of Plenty, so I would often hitchhike between Dunedin and Tauranga uh, and back. And I remember this one particular day, it was the end of the, the university holidays. I'd been up working in an orchard, raising money to you know, obviously keep my studies going, and I was hitchhiking back, and my dad dropped me off on the very outskirts of Tauranga, and I'm hoping for a, a ride. And, you know, for those of you who have ever hitchhiked, you, you know that really what you want is you want that one ride that takes you all the way or almost all the way. Right? You're looking for a ride that you can settle in, not have to worry, you know, that you're going to get a good chunk of the way towards your destination. And uh, so I've, I'm there, I've got my pack on my back, I'm carrying my guitar, I always hitchhike with my guitar, I've got my thumb out, and this young guy goes past in a car and he... And he pulls over, and he pulls over, but he, he, it's obviously a bit of a late decision, he's driven past me, and he's going, oh yeah, I'll pick him up, because he's about 50 or 60 metres down the road, so I'm jogging down the road to catch up to this car that stopped, and as I get closer, I can see that on his bumper, he's got one of those big holographic, I love Jesus bumper stickers, right, and I, and I see this, and I'm just going, oh no, I do not want to get a ride with this guy. But, but I, as I'm running along, I'm, I'm literally coaching myself. I'm like, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You can just let this guy yabber on about Jesus. It's just going to be fine, right? So I finally get up to the car, open the car door. He says, bro, jump in. So I, I jump in with all my stuff. And, and, then, and then, you know, like this, this kind of etiquette with hitchhiking. It usually starts with, g'day, mate, where are you going? Something like that. There's an understanding of how far this is going, an exchange of names, and then you settle in and you're on the journey, right? Like, I, my butt hadn't even hit the seat. And he said to me, bro, I just need to tell you, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. And you need to sort your life and get out I mean, and get on board with Jesus. And I'm like, I'm still trying to buckle in. And I'm going, wow, this is going to be a long drive, right? And so then I buckle in. He takes off. And he just, I don't even say hello. He's just gone on at me about Jesus and he takes me 200 meters down the road, and there's a turn-off. He goes, oh, bro, I'm getting off here. You need to get out. And I got out of the car just going, I was, in, I was shell-shocked. I'm like, what was all that about? But do you know what? As I walked away, I couldn't shake this feeling that there was something very important about that conversation. And for the first time in many years, as I walked down that road, I started a conversation with God. And I have no idea who the guy's name was. Never even got his name. But I, I, I always think back on that time as a very important turning point in my life. Now, I didn't fully give my life to Christ for some time yet. But that was a moment on my journey which turned me and oriented me towards God. I wonder 
would I be here today if it wasn't for him? We're going to jump into the scriptures today and we're going to look at another unnamed person who had a brief conversation and saw the outcome of someone's life changed radically. We're going to jump into 2 Kings 5 and I'm going to give you a bit of the story before we go to the scripture. But there's this guy called Naaman. Naaman was a commander of an army and um, the king that he served considered Naaman extremely highly. He was very successful. He was successful in battle. He was highly esteemed. He was a top soldier. But he had leprosy. Now, leprosy is a progressive disease. It develops slowly. Uh, It has been probably one of the most feared diseases throughout history. Because if left untreated, the slow-growing bacteria damage nerves, and that results in the crippling of hands and feet the disfiguring of extremities. Uh, People will often lose their nose, lose their fingers, lose their toes. They can lose their hands and their feet through a variety of of reasons as a result of, of the nerve damage. Ultimately, leprosy ends in paralysis and blindness. It was a devastating disease with a huge stigma attached to it. Now, now we, we have to assume that Naaman's leprosy was in the very early stages, right? But he knew where it was leading, and so did everyone else around him. Now, Scripture tells us that in Naaman's household, there were slaves, and one of those slaves was from a Jewish community, a young girl who had been captured on a military expedition. So commentators tell us she was probably about 12 or 13, very, very young, and she served Naaman's wife. Man, Imagine the kind of distress that was going on in that household. Not only with this, this little girl uh, torn from her family, probably never going to see her parents again, a slave in this household, but she's in a household where the husband has leprosy and everybody knows it and everybody fears it. Now, the story goes that this girl made a suggestion to her mistress, who was Naaman's wife. I think this girl probably knew who was really in charge in the household. Isn't that right, ladies? We know who's really in charge in the household, if you really want to get stuff done. So um, now, now she made a suggestion to Naaman's wife, and Naaman's wife obviously uh, heard that and passed that on to her husband. And then her husband decided that was worth trying. And, and so her husband went to the king and told the king what the servant girl had said, that there was a prophet in Israel and if she could, uh, sorry, if he could get to that prophet, that prophet would pray for him, and he would be healed of leprosy. Now, the fact that he told this to the king tells us a little of the relationship, right, that Naaman has with, with the king. This is not, this is an uncommon relationship. This is there's, there's obviously a, a real respect and friendship there, and the king clearly knows that his primary military commander has leprosy because the king says, "Look, absolutely, you go for it." And, In fact, the king not only releases him to go, he gives him a letter to the king of Israel to open the doors for Naaman in that country and sends clothes and and wealth with him as a reward should Naaman actually be healed. This is fascinating, right? Someone's got faith here in this story. Tell you what, the king's got faith. Naaman's got faith. Absolutely amazing. So Naaman goes to the king of Israel, presents this letter the king of Israel basically freaks out, going, oh my gosh, uh, the king of Aram has sent 
his military commander here to be healed. I can't guarantee this guy's going to get healed at all. And so he assumed, therefore, he was being set up, uh, that, that the king was looking for a fight. But then Elisha heard what had happened and sent a message to the king saying, send this Naaman to me. And so we pick up the story in verse 9 of 2 Kings 5. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, Elisha sent a messenger to him. Didn't go himself. Sent a messenger to him saying, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought he'd surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servants, servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan Seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. It's an amazing story. It's an extraordinary miracle. And he tries to give Elisha all this gold and all these sets of clothing that he's brought as payment, but Elisha refused. Why did Elisha refuse? Because God's healing is a gift. It's, this is a wonderful picture of grace, right, that we have here. It was a gift. You don't pay for a gift. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful foreshadowing of Jesus, right, who extended healing and salvation for us as a gift. It cannot be earned. You don't get credits through doing good works. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace healing comes. A beautiful picture there. But then what happens is Naaman makes a couple of requests. Now, the first one is around the fact that from now on, he is saying, I am only going to worship the Lord. That was the first request. He wants to take some dirt with him from kind of outside of Loshter's house. He's going to you know, set up an altar. That's cool. But then he says this in verse 18. This is intriguing. He says, but... May the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master, talking about the king, enters the temple of Ramon, which was the god that, that they worshipped in, in, in Ammon, to bow down, and, and he is leaning on my arm. Obviously, the king is, is old, somewhat frail, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace. Elisha says, no, 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 isn't this powerful, right? Naaman now worshipped God unequivocally. He had seen the power of God. He was worshipping God. But the king that he served and had influence with served a different God, worshipped a different God. And Naaman loved this king clearly. And clearly we can see that there was affection from this king to his military commander as well. And so Naaman wanted to know, when he took his king, his, his king's desire was to worship this false god, this foreign god, that's fine. But 
when he went into the temple of Rimon with his king and helped his king down to bow before his God, would God forgive him for that? Would God have grace for and understand that even as Naaman was bowing down, he wasn't bowing down. He, he just was helping his king. He wasn't bowing before this God. There was only one God in his heart and his mind. Would God understand that? And Elisha says, yes, you can be at peace on that. You can be at peace. It's like he's saying, you know, God sees your heart, Naaman. It's okay. It's fine with God. He has placed you there in the palace of that king. He has put you there for influence, for a purpose. So serve. Now, let me ask a few questions this morning. First one is this. How many healings do you think there have been in Jesus' name in history that occurred only because Naaman's story is recorded. And in instances where someone prayed for someone and they weren't healed on the first time, and then they remembered Naaman's story that Naaman had to go under again and again and again before he was healed. And so someone goes, well, we're going to pray again and again. I wonder how many people have been healed in recorded history because of Naaman's story. I tell you, this is exactly what happened in, in, in an instance I had. We were on a mission trip to Africa. We were in our first year of marriage. Um, we're out there with Pastor Bob and Maggie. And on this particular day, we'd gone way, way, way out into the bush, visiting this little tiny village. And um, as we're driving into this village, um, we, you know, we've gone, we, we went out on the Tarsia Road for like an hour and a half, and then we're on an off, uh, like a track in this van for like another hour and a half, and then we're literally just driving through the bush in this van. And we get to this little village, and as we arrive, um, I'm just promising, Lord, what do you want me to do here? Like, how do I do this? This is my very first mission trip. I felt God say to me, pray for everything that even looks sick because these people have no other option but me. And so we were in there and we met with these people. We had a great meeting. And then at the end of it, there was a time for healing. And we're in this little tiny thatched kind of hut. And maybe there were like 30 or 40 people crammed into this thing. And so then Pastor Bob opened it up for healing, and, and so then people started to come forward, and so we started to pray for people. And I ended up praying for this woman. She was one of the first ones up. What I didn't know until later was that she was the wife of the chief of the village. And we later found that out because afterwards we went for a meal and we were hosted in her house, in her hut. Anyway, this woman comes up, and through the interpreter, and she, and she, she limps up. She's obviously something wrong with her hip or her leg. She limps up. And through the interpreter, I asked what's wrong, and she's had, uh, had this problem with her leg for a long time. Causes her constant pain. She can't walk on it properly. And so I'm like, okay, well, well let's pray. So I, we pray for her, right? Pray for her in Jesus' name. And then I said to her, because, you know, I'd seen people, you pray, and then you get people to activate their faith. So I said, look, I want you to go outside and walk around, and, and then come back in and tell me if God's healed your leg. So she limps out. Ten seconds later, she limps back in, she's, and through the interpreter, she says, no, look, the pain is still there. You know, like, she was clearly in pain. I, and so I'm going, what am I going to do now? And I remembered Naaman. Well, well let's, go, let's go again. I said, come on, let's go again. We're going to pray again. So I prayed a second time. I sent her out. She limped out. She limped back in. Wasn't healed. <laughs> I'm still thinking Naaman. So I'm going a third time. We go a fourth time. We go a fifth time, and now I'm starting to go... What number do we call this on? You know, like, do we go to 30? Do we go to 50? Like, how many times are we going to do this, right? And we get up to the seventh time, and I send her out one last time, and I'm just like, oh, come on, God, do something. 
and she walks out with a limp, and she walks back in without a limp. Huge grin on her face, through the interpreter, all the pain is gone, her leg is functioning perfectly. In fact, as we drove out of the village, later after we'd had a meal, as we drove out of the village, um, she was walking along, and as she saw me through the window of the van, she stamped on her leg to show me how strong and pain-free it was. It was amazing. You know what? I tell you what, if it wasn't for Naaman's story, I would not have prayed the second time. How many times in history do you think there have been someone like me? Maybe you've had an experience like that, where Naaman's story has so encouraged you that maybe things don't happen on the first time. Who knows? You know that time when Jesus prayed for a guy who was blind? And he says, well, what do you see? And his vision wasn't fully restored, so Jesus prayed a second time? I wonder if Jesus was thinking of Naaman. Who knows? Boy, I think it's amazing. Second thing is this. Let me ask you this question. How many believers in nations dominated by other religions have found peace through Naaman's story as they serve and worship God while at the same time serving ungodly people, ungodly leaders in places where God has placed them despite the fact that false gods are being worshipped. How many thousands, maybe millions across history have found God's peace in Naaman's story? Whether it's in Nazi Germany or communist Russia or China or Muslim nations or Hindu or Buddhist regimes or even in incredibly liberal Western nations. Understanding, because of Naaman's story, that, that God sees their heart and even if they are caught up in a situation where there are other things being worshipped, that it's actually it's okay. God sees their heart for him. And he says, you, know, you can have peace in that. I know your heart. I know your loyalty to me. And that God would rather have them there being a quiet witness than not have them there at all. Uh, the influence of this man, Naaman, and his story is one that I have no doubt has touched millions. And it all happened because of the faith of one unnamed young woman who cared enough to make a suggestion. Do you realize that caring enough to make a suggestion could actually change the world? We know nothing else about this young girl. We don't know if she did anything else at all. But this one thing she did changed not only this man's life, but has changed countless other people's lives throughout the last several thousand years of history. Uh, let me go back and let's just take a look at what she actually said. 2 Kings 5, chapter 2 to 5. It says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. Now, I can't imagine what kind of personal grief this young girl is going through. What kind of personal difficulty is she going through? depression, fear, anxiety, yet she cared enough to make a suggestion. It wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have surprised me if she'd gone, fantastic, I hope he dies. But that wasn't the heart we see. 
We don't see a young, bitter woman going, I hope he dies and I hope he dies slowly. We see a young woman who, who actually, in the midst of her own grief and pain, actually cared and cared enough to speak out when she had no authority and had no reason to think that her opinion would carry any weight. If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, she said, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, how many times in the scripture do you think that we see the power of someone caring enough to make a suggestion? It's here. When you go looking for it, it is everywhere. And I'm just going to give you a few examples. Boaz suggests to Naomi's relative that Boaz should buy the land from Naomi's deceased husband. And, and as a result, she, he gets this extraordinary woman, Ruth, as his wife as a result and ends up being in the lineage of Jesus all because of this kind of suggestion he makes. Go and read the story. It's intriguing. Elisha suggests to, sorry, Elijah suggests to Elisha that he should become the next prophet of Israel. If you read the story, he goes and throws his mantle over Elisha as Elisha was plowing. Elisha kind of talks to him and he's like, what have I done? You know, what have I, you know, your call. It's like, it's like, I just made a suggestion, buddy. You do whatever you want with that. And yet, as a result, Elisha became this astonishing prophet in Israel and did double the miracles that Elijah did. Or, or the prophet Nathan suggests to Bathsheba that she suggests to King David that he makes Solomon king in his place. As a result, it ushers in the most prosperous season the nation of Israel had ever experienced. Philip suggests to Nathaniel that Jesus was the Messiah and that maybe he should come and see. Nathaniel gets saved and becomes one of the disciples. The angel in Acts suggests to Philip that he should go check out the chariot on the desert road. He does. As a result, the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. And as a result of that, historians tell us, the very first churches on the African continent were planted as a result. People who cared enough to make a suggestion. And God did something great that rippled through the generations. You know, this young woman, unnamed on earth, but she is known in heaven. This young girl, unrecognized among people, yet celebrated by angels. And can I, can I take a little bit of license? Can I ask you this next question? What do you think happened as a result of Naaman being healed? Can we imagine the possible outcomes of this story for a moment? That scripture doesn't tell us, but obviously happened. Because God cares as much for this unnamed servant girl as he does for this highly decorated military commander. Make no mistake, right? I mean, we know that, right? God cares for everybody equally. What was God doing here? Is it possible that Naaman comes home? He's obviously completely healed. He's celebrating. He's declaring to his household that now he's worshiping the one true God, the God of Israel. He's got this rock-solid faith now. Is it too much to imagine that when he came home and in the rejoicing that took place, the fact that he is now completely healed, that he turned to the servant girl, maybe called her out in front of everybody, and with tears in his eyes, he thanked her? Is it possible that he said to her that he could never repay her for what she had done? Maybe he offered her whatever she wanted, safe passage back to her family with gifts that would set her family up for life, or perhaps even an offer that she no longer be a slave but become his daughter. 
that he would honor her and make a way for her in their society. I tell you, one thing is for sure. When God heals a body, he also transforms a heart. And God had plans for this unnamed girl as much as he did for Naaman. Here's a key thought for us today as we come to a close. We'll get the team up now. There is purpose in your position. There is purpose in your position. You know, this young unnamed girl was taken to a place she did not want to be. She could not imagine how this could possibly be in God's plan. She could not imagine for a second that it could be purposeful in any sort of meaningful way. Yet that was the very place where God used her for a purpose beyond not just her, but beyond the nation of Israel. Can I suggest this morning that the place that you find yourself in today, God can use for a great purpose. God will use for a great purpose. I I really believe that. I believe that the position that you are in, whatever that may be, no matter how you got there, no matter whether it's where you want to be or not, there is purpose in the place that God has you in. And it is not dependent upon your location, your difficulty, or your pain. I don't know where that is for you right now, but I promise you, if you will hold on to faith in that place, God can use that. Today, can we be inspired and challenged to care enough to make a suggestion in the place we are in. Maybe it's a suggestion for someone to come to church. Maybe it's a suggestion for someone to try praying to Jesus. Maybe it's a suggestion for someone to go and seek help. Or maybe it's a suggestion for someone to simply come and hang out with you or maybe you and your family. Someone once cared enough to suggest that I come to Elam. I'm so glad that they did. You know, when we care enough to make a suggestion, It's amazing what God can do with something so simple. Let me ask you this, and then we're going to close. Who do you care about in this season? And what are they facing? And what might you do about that? What might you suggest to them that might open a way for breakthrough, for healing, for new life, that if it is left unaddressed, might end up having major consequences. Can we care enough to have the faith to make a suggestion to someone in our world today? Come on, let's pray. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful example, God, of this unnamed girl who As far as we know, just made this one suggestion, but God, how it has transformed not only uh, the people's lives, God, the family she was in, the, the man that she served, but God, this suggestion, this young woman, her act of faith, God, has rippled throughout history, God, changing people's lives, God, bringing answered prayer, God, bringing peace to people and persecuted nations, God, I can't even imagine. God, what you have done through this one suggestion offered by this one unnamed girl. God, I thank you, Lord, that it doesn't matter if nobody knows our names. God, you know us. God, you have purposed us in the position that you've placed us. And God, if we will care, if we will care even just enough to make a suggestion to somebody else, 
God, that might open the door for great things to happen. Holy Ghost, I pray this week for each of us here, Lord, that we, Lord, might be men and women who this week will make a suggestion. And I pray, God, you surprise us with what you can do through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you've never taken that step of putting your faith in him, let me just take one minute to talk about that. The Bible says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's you and that's me. God loves everybody. The Bible also says in Romans 3 that actually that all have sinned, all of us. We've all sinned and we've fallen short of God's glory or God's standard. And, and it's our sin. It's, the, it's those decisions that we make to reject God as the rightful authority in our lives. That's what keeps us separated from knowing God and experiencing his love and plan in our lives. And that's why Jesus came. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He died on a cross 2,000 years ago to pay for our sin so that God could forgive us because of what He did in our place. So that through putting our trust in Jesus, we can know God, experience Him in our lives. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that to all those who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of For us to be right with God, it's not about doing a whole bunch of things. It's not even about, about changing our lives and doing good things. It starts with faith. It starts with coming to God in prayer and saying, okay, God, I receive you as my God and my Savior. I, I lay my life down. I ask you to come in God and be Lord and God of my life. If you will take that step of faith, God will begin to show you not only His love, but also His plan for you. Is that you this morning? Do you need to take that step of faith and come home? If you do, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads just right now for a moment. And if you're sitting here and you're like, you know what, I need to take that step of faith. I need to get right with God. I need to do that right now. Then I'd like to invite you just to pray this prayer after me just between you and the Lord from your heart. Here we go. Here's how it goes. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I admit today that I am a sinner and my sin keeps me separated from you. But I believe today that Jesus, you came and died on that cross for me. And that as a result, I can be forgiven. Jesus, I receive you now as my God and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me my sin, for making me new, for giving me a new beginning. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lead me all the days of my life. Look, if you prayed that prayer, I'll say how proud I am of you. I made that decision in a gas station here in Auckland when I was 22 years old. Changed my life forever. If you made that decision today, I would love you to take one small step of faith before you go. The back of the seat in front of you or a seat near you, you'll see an Orange Connect card. That's how we connect on all sorts of things. Gosh, it would mean the world to us if you take one moment, grab that. There'll be a pen there as well. Put your name and details down there and tick the box and say, I gave my life to Christ today. 
we'd love to pray for you. Uh, and you know, we will uh, we'll email you just a little bit of information about how you can get to know God personally in a deeper way, help you on your journey. But um, we would just love to know if you would pray that prayer.